on your own, but it isn't quite like the corporate fellowship. And thank you to the guys in the little band who help us to praise the Lord. I thought this morning that uh, I might just talk to you a little bit informally um, about the issue of servanthood. You know, we talked a lot about discipleship last week and about being a genuine, true child in the faith. We talked about, really, in essence, spiritual leadership. The one component that we didn't really address, but is a very crucial one, is the attitude of being a servant. Spiritual leadership is all about service. Uh, Jesus said, He that would be great among you, let him be your servant. He said the Gentiles lead by domination. The Gentiles lead by charismatic kind of influence. But he said, I want you to lead by being a servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul, when he was thinking about his life and ministry, said, 1 Corinthians 4, Let a man so account of us as of servants. And he used a word that meant a galley slave. In fact, a low-level galley slave who rowed his oar down in the hulk, in the hull rather of a of a great ship, a non-discriminate low-level third-level galley slave on a, what was called a trireme, which had three decks of rowing slaves, and this was the bottom deck, a cooperates, an under rower. He said, uh, "When you look at me and you evaluate my life, just say he pulled his oar. He was a." He was an under-rower, and he was a faithful servant. Peter said that we're not to lord it over the flock. We're not to dominate them, but we're to serve them. The Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian elders, You know that when I was with you, I was serving the Lord with all humility of mind. And I paid the price. The Jews were always plotting to take my life and... He went on to talk about that and to even illustrate it further. So the whole matter of spiritual leadership and spiritual influence and discipleship also involves the issue of servanthood. And I think one of the best illustrations of what a true servant looks like is found in Genesis chapter 24. So I want you to take out your Bible, and we're going to need to follow along because I want to take you through the 24th chapter of Genesis, and I want to have you become acquainted with a very special servant. This is a man by the name of Eliezer. And Eliezer happened to be the chief steward or the number one servant for Abraham. In the 24th chapter of Genesis, Eliezer, Abraham's chief steward or chief servant, is given a task. The task is to find a wife, not for himself, but for the son of Abraham. Find a wife for Isaac. Now, this is not necessarily a normal duty for a servant, certainly not in our society, but perhaps it was then. The interesting thing about the story is that we don't even find Eliezer's name in the 24th chapter of Genesis. It's a long chapter. It goes on for about 67 verses. It never even mentions his name, which I guess is, is part of what servanthood is all about. You're not looking for accolades. You're not looking for kudos. You're not looking for prominence. You have to go back to chapter 15 
and verse 2 in Genesis, and we read there, And Abram said, O Lord God, what wilt thou give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Now, what this tells us is that Eliezer was the name of the chief servant or the chief steward. Steward is a word that means servant. It's a kind of servant who managed everything. Eliezer was the chief steward. Now, this is a very important point. Don't miss this. He was, because Abraham had no son, he was the heir to everything Abraham possessed. Okay? Abraham was extremely wealthy, as you will remember. A very, very wealthy man. All of his wealth would be passed upon his death to Eliezer until Isaac was born. Now, you could imagine that Eliezer might resent Isaac, right? Since Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 96, and there aren't too many 96-year-old pregnant women running around, so it really wasn't expected. It was a jolt and a shock even to Abraham. In fact, the thought of having a child uh, made Abraham and Sarah laugh because they had been barren for all those years. I'm sure that Eliezer, in managing everything that Abraham owned, knew very well what was going to become his. I'm sure he had, if we might borrow a contemporary proverb, counted his chickens long before they hatched. I'm sure he understood all the wealth that was going to accrue to him. And he probably had a lot of plans for what he was going to do with all these possessions. And then Isaac was born. You could understand that down in the heart of Eliezer, this sort of uh, Isaac-come-lately kid was really a, a source of bitterness because he'd been planning all these years to possess this, and now it would all go to Isaac. And then in chapter 24, Eliezer is asked to do something specifically for the sake of Isaac. And that was to find him a wife. Now, you could have imagined he would have found him the ugliest girl he could find with a serious case of halitosis and who knows what else to try to pay him back. But that's not what you see here. What you see is a man who's been given a very difficult task to the very man who supplanted him as the heir to a veritable fortune in, in millions of dollars by today's standards. And you see here the heart of a true servant. Verse 1 says, Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, that's his chief steward, Eliezer, the oldest of his household, his senior servant, who had charge of all that he owned, and as I noted was to possess it someday until Isaac was born, Please place your hand under my thigh. You say, what? Why is he telling him that? Well, it's an old ancient custom. Fortunately, it's long since passed away. What would happen was that that's a very sort of intimate act. That's a sort of solemn, sort of private act. And when two men would make a covenant or a vow, they would do that as a symbol of their integrity, of their honesty, of their obligation to the covenant. A very intimate, personal, private way of saying, 
I make my vow to you. Solemnly, I promise. So here comes Abraham, this old guy, and he goes to his oldest servant, Eliezer, and he says, all right, we're going to make a promise here. I want you to place your hand under my thigh, and I want you to swear to me, verse 3, by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. I don't want my son marrying some Canaanite woman. The Canaanites were vile people. If you read anything about Canaanite history, you'll remember, for example, that whenever they build a new building, they would bury a live baby in a jar in the wall of that building as an offering to the gods. You'll remember that they offered their children to the god Moloch, burning live babies in the fire. They were replete with venereal disease. In fact, God literally says that He wiped out that pagan people in the land of Palestine because of their homosexuality and their other iniquity. So they were a wretched people. Abraham says, I do not want my son intermarrying with these Canaanites. Promise me that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I have to live. You remember God had brought him from Ur of the Chaldees, brought him all the way down there and, and established him in that place, which would later become, of course, the, the land of Israel. But he says, verse 4, You shall go to my country, back to Ur of the Chaldees, to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. I know the quality and the character of my kind of people, and I want you to go back there, and I want you to find someone who is a distant relative, someone from my own, as it were, tribe, my own people. Now, the first thing you see here about a servant is the servant is unselfish. The very fact that Abraham could ask Eliezer to do this will tell you that he didn't believe Eliezer had any bitterness against Isaac. Even though Eliezer had lost his inheritance to Isaac, he had no bitterness, or he never would have given him the task. He never would have set him up to do something disastrous. So the first thing we see that marks a servant is unselfish humility. This man, Eliezer, had submitted himself to the will of God expressed in the birth of Isaac that this literally disinherited him from everything he might want at one time have gained. Secondly, by, by virtue of the way that Abraham constructs the vow, he says, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. He understood that Eliezer had an unconditional commitment to God. Here was a man that, that feared God. Or Abraham wouldn't have given him a vow to swear before God unless he knew that he feared God and having made such a vow wouldn't violate that vow. A servant then is marked by unselfish humility. A servant is marked by unconditional commitment to the Lord, the Lord God. Down in verse 9 it says, So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning the matter. He took God seriously. Then in verse 3 he says, don't take a wife from the Canaanites, but go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Do I need to remind you that God was very, very clear when Israel came into the land later on that they were not to be involved in intermarrying with pagans? Over in chapter 26, verse 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Marrying the wrong person out of the wrong background is a pain. It brought grief. 
It was against the purposes and the will of God. So the third thing we note about Eliezer is he wanted to be obedient to God's will. He had humble, sacrificial, unselfish attitudes toward those who even took his place. He was unconditionally committed to the Lord, and he wanted to be obedient to the will, and the revealed will of God had been indicated in the case of marrying with those who were pagans. Then verse 5. Follow what happens. And the servant said to him, Suppose the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. I mean, let's say I go there back to your place, I find the woman that I think is best, and you're trusting me with that, so we could add that he is a trusted man, a true servant is trusted. And he suppose I find the one I think is right, and she won't come. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Should I come back, get Isaac, haul him back there, because she won't come to him? Should he go to her? Here's another thing about a good servant. He anticipates difficulties. Anybody in spiritual ministry, anybody in leadership, anybody in service has to be able to anticipate difficulty. He does. What happens if... Then Abraham said to him, Beware lest you take my son back there. You see, God had said, I'm going to take you to this new land, and there you're going to raise up a seed. There your seed will become like the sand of the sea and all of that in Genesis 12. So he knew he needed to stay in that land and there raise his family. He says, under no condition are you to take Isaac back there. So if the girl won't come, you don't take Isaac back. Verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. Don't worry about that. The Lord's going to make it happen because the Lord said we've got to be in this land. This is our land. And when you find the right woman, the Lord will make sure that angels orchestrate the whole deal. So you don't have to worry about that. But, verse 8, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. If you can't find the right woman who is willing to come here, then the deal is off. But don't take my son there. So in verse 9, as I noted, he swore to do it. Now, follow into verse 10. Then the servant, Eliezer, took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Here's another thing about a good servant. He has initiative. He takes initiative. Demonstrates initiative. He's entrepreneurial. Abraham doesn't tell him how to do it. He's got a plan. He gets ten camels. Why? Because he's going to pile on these ten camels a fortune, clothes and jewelry and all this stuff. And all these ten camels are going to haul this all the way back to this place called Nahor, which was back near where Abraham came from. And why all that? Because you didn't walk off with somebody's daughter without paying a big price. Used to call this a dowry, didn't they? I mean, ten camels full. And of course, camels are trekking across the desert, and they finally get there, and they all kneel down outside the city, and he's got a plan. He has them kneel down at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. That was the task of women. You've seen some, perhaps, Middle Eastern pictures even today of women with stuff on their heads. They used to put uh, either a stick across their head with two jars on it or a big jar on their head, and they'd go marching out to the well and and they'd bring it back in. Their duty was to, to supply the water. That's what the women did. The men worked with the animals, and they worked in the agriculture, and the women took care of the needs 
with regard to water. It sometimes could be a difficult job. You go out with a pot, fill it up, come back, go back out, go back in. And so these wells were outside of a village, and they would make several trips very often to do that. Look what he says. Verse 12. Here's another thing about a servant. He develops a strategy. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Obviously, the older women didn't come. They were caring for the meal and all of that. These would be the younger ones. Now he says, May it be to that girl that I say, Please let down your jar so that I may drink. And who answers, Drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And by this I shall know that thou hast shown loving kindness to my master. He develops a strategy. Another thing about a servant, he prays. Please notice back in verse 12, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, he acknowledges divine dependence. Now, this is really a model servant. But here's his little plan. These women are going to come out. I'm going to pick out one of these women. And he has some criteria, obviously. He's going to pick out a woman that he thinks is beautiful. And he's going to say to her, Would you please... Give me a drink of water. Well, that isn't an easy deal. You've got to take the jar down off your head and pour the water for the guy. And, and when I ask that, I want the woman that you want me to have for Isaac to say, Oh, yes, sir, I'd be glad to do that. And can I please water also your ten camels? Right? I mean, today you would expect a girl to say, Buzz off, buddy. Get your own drink. I mean, that's just basically the tone of the world, isn't it? But, I mean, even a nice girl might say, Certainly, sir, I'd be happy to give you a drink. But do you understand what it is to water ten camels? you know why camels have humps? They carry water. And watering ten camels who have just crossed the desert would mean putting the bucket down and up, down and up, filling the jar, taking the jar, dumping it in the trough, and doing that and doing that and doing that until you had filled up ten tanks on the backs of camels. I mean, this is a major enterprise. And what kind of girl is going to volunteer for this? A very special one. Well, verse 15. It came about before he finished speaking. Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. And the girl was very beautiful. Eliezer wasn't too old. He was young enough to see beauty. She was a virgin. No man had had relations with her. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and started back toward the village. And she's got this big jar probably on her head. She's a beautiful young girl. She's a virgin. And Eliezer sees her. And this is the guy's in good shape. He ran to meet her. I mean, I don't think he wanted to miss this deal, right? And he said, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And, you know, you just, you just believe that today the average person would say, you know, out of my way, buddy. Well, who, I don't know you. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. Amazing. And where are these kind of women? What is happening to our world? 
I mean, be honest. Would you have done it? So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough. She poured it into the trough. She ran back to the well to draw, and she continued to draw for all his camels. This is a guy she doesn't even know. Verse 21. You can understand this. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence. He cannot believe this woman, and she's not even ugly. You know, I mean, this is this is more than you can achieve. I mean, she's not trying to accomplish something, you know, because she can't get a man, and she thinks this might be the guy, her only shot. I mean, there's none of that here. She's just this kind of person. And he wanted to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. We would say a good servant has patient discernment. He's watching it very carefully to see if it really is the right one. Well, it came about when the camels had finished drinking. I don't know how long it took, but perhaps hours. The man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel. And you aren't going to like this. You know where it used to go? In the nose. Not here. He didn't tie a rope and drag her around with it. Here, you start. To, you see that in India. You see that. I even see that nowadays. Sometimes somebody sticks a ring in their nostril. That was a symbol of beauty in those days. A half shekel. This is a. This is a major, big gold ring. And two gold bracelets for her wrists, weighing ten shekels in gold. He pulls this stuff out of the bags on the camels, and he says, "Whose daughter are you? Please tell me." Is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom he bore to Nahor. And she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. She's amazingly hospitable, isn't she? And then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. Why? Well, he knew God had set it all up. This is a wonderful thing about a servant. You're serving, you're working with people, you're ministering, you're trying to accomplish God's will. And behind the scenes, God is orchestrating every detail. And he said, verse 27, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Notice how many times he uses the personal pronoun my, possessive pronoun my. Repeatedly does he say my master, my master, my master, my master. He loved his master. That's another thing about a servant. He serves out of devoted love. It is not out of some kind of bitter duty. It is devoted love. This girl was also pretty buff. Verse 28. She ran also. A lot of joggers in this village. Told her mother's household about these things. She splits and tears into town. No doubt with the jug on her head, which indicates something of her dexterity. And she tells her mother what's happened. I met a guy at a deal and I watered all his camels. The mother says, where have you been? Probably, like any mother would say. And she said, well, I've been watering these ten camels. Well, who for? I don't know. Just some guy who needed a drink and I offered to do it. And then now he wants to stay with us. And, and, and do you mind? He's coming and he's bringing his ten camels. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran outside. He runs too. Everybody runs. Uh, to the man at the spring. And it came about, uh, all these people running in every direction, he saw the ring. First thing he sees, he sees Rebecca. He says, wait a minute, where did you get that ring? 
And what are those things hanging on your wrist? And he heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, who's saying, This is what the man said to me. He, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. She told him what the man said, and, and he went, and there was the guy still there at the spring waiting to see what was going to happen because she went back to find out if he could come in and stay with them in their place. And he said, Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? You get a little feeling here that this family had perhaps come to know or at least to understand and comprehend the true God. And that's why it was so important for Isaac to get his bride from a people who had some knowledge of the true God rather than the gods of the Canaanites. Because he says, Come in blessed of the Lord. So the man came and he entered the house. And Laban unloaded the camels. That's not a small job either. Ten of those things loaded down. Then he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of all the men who were with him. You didn't think one guy was hauling around ten camels, did you? There was probably a man for every camel or two. So he had another group of servants plus the camels. This is a whole entourage. And he took care of all the camels, washed all the feet of the guys who were with him, Verse 33, and that is the most abject duty that a servant has. So we can see here again the uniqueness of how God has set this thing all up. When food was set before him to eat, now Eliezer sits down. They're going to feed him with all of his friends, just like they fed his camels. He said, I will not eat until I've told my business. I love this. The servant knows the priority is the task. The servant knows the priority is the task. Never gets distracted. First things first. And so Laban said, What is it? Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. Now watch how many times he says, My master, and celebrates, as it were, that loyal love. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys and at this point he could have said <laughs> and once they would have been mine <laughs> but he didn't now Sarah my master's wife bore a son to my master again my master my master in her old age and he has given him all that he has that's okay my master made me swear you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but you shall go to my father's house, to my relatives, take a wife for my son. I said to my master, suppose the woman doesn't follow me. I mean, he reiterates every detail of the conversation. And he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you to make your journey successful, and you will take a wife for my son from my relatives in my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives, and if they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. He gave an exacting report of what the whole deal was about. So he said, I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now thou wilt make my journey on which I go successful. And again, we see that he depended on God. This is how it is with good spiritual servants. They depend on God. So he said, I'm standing by the spring. May it be the maiden who comes to draw and who says, to whom I say, let me drink a little water from your jar. And she says, you drink and I'll draw for your camels. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, Behold, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder, not her head, huh? And went down to the spring and drew. And I said to her, Please let me drink. And she quickly lowered her jar 
and said, Drink, and I'll water your camels also. So I drank, and she watered the camels. He's reciting all of this because he wants Laban to know that God is behind this because he said this was to be the condition, and she met the condition, and only God could orchestrate that. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and the bracelet on her wrist. And I bowed low and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So, if you're going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or the left. Now, are you going to do this deal or not? Just tell me so I can decide what I'm going to do. Here is a decisiveness. I like this. A good servant is decisive. There's no frustration. He just says, tell me what you're going to do so I know what next to do. What's the next step? There's a certain secure confidence here. And Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this is brother and father, the matter comes from the Lord. I mean, how could they deny that? So what, what are we going to say to you? We don't have anything to say. Obviously, God orchestrated this. I mean, you set the condition. Unwittingly, she met the condition. It had to be God. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Here she stands. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. I mean, it, it had to be God. How can we stand against it? That's a wonderful characteristic of a spiritual servant. He operates so totally in the framework of divine direction that he cannot be withstood. Well, came about, verse 52, that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed to the ground before the Lord. A thankful heart. Again, indicating his involvement with the will of God and the providence of God and the power of God orchestrating all of this. And then the servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments. Now you're starting to see what's on the camels. Gave them all to Rebecca. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her father. He just unloads this massive fortune on them. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. I didn't come here for a vacation. I'm not going to hang around a few days to celebrate. I'm out of here. But her brother and her mother said, Let the girl stay with us a few days. Say ten. Afterwards, she may go. I mean, we'd like to have a, a, you know, a week and a half with her. I mean, you're hauling her off. I'll never see her again. This is our daughter. This is our sister. We love her. I mean, there's some things to do. She needs to say goodbye to her grandmother and her old aunt down the, down the path. And, and she wants to have a little time with her girlfriends. And she'd kind of like to go over her wardrobe. And, and we just want a little time together. I mean, ten days. He said to them, Do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Do you understand who's directing this operation? He says, Don't get in the way. God is in involved in this. Don't you delay this. Send me away that I may go to my master. So they said, well, we'll call a girl and we'll, we'll, we'll ask what she wants. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. This is an amazing girl, isn't it? Thus they sent away their sister Rebecca and her nurse, that's her attendant, with Abraham's servant and his men, like a chaperone and someone to care for her. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. That's an old way, uh, you know, that's an old kind of blessing on someone. You could say that to one of your friends, you know, basically. You know, may you, may you have many babies, and may your babies um, conquer all the people who hate you. That's basically what they're saying. 
Um, so Rebecca goes, and they say, you know, God is in this, and that's all there is to it. And she did become the mother of thousands and tens of thousands, didn't she? The whole Jewish race. So she arose, verse 61, with the maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Another characteristic of a good spiritual servant is he sees his task to its completion. He persists in God's will. He persists in God's plan to the very end. So he took Rebekah and left. Meanwhile, Isaac, verse 62. You know, he's got to be back at home saying, what in the world is, is Eliezer going to bring me? I mean, this is a grab bag deal. This is a pig in a poke. I don't know what I'm going to get. Isaac had come from going to Be'er Lahairo, where he was living in the Negev, that's in the desert south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening and he must have been something of an intellectual as well as devoted to the Lord. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. You can always tell when camels are coming. If you've ever been over in that part of the world, there's just a huge cloud of dust. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, the old King James translated it, she lit off a camel. And people say it's the first place that smoking is mentioned in the Bible. I wouldn't say a thing like that because it's so ridiculous, but some people have said that. Anyway, she looks off in the distance and she saw Isaac, so she lit off a camel. She said to the servant, verse 65, she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And you can imagine her little heart is pounding and his big heart is pounding. He's my master. It's the first time he calls Isaac his master. Oh, that's him? So she took her veil and... Isn't that just... That's kind of opposite, you know? Today, the girl would pull everything back and do the whole nine yards, you know? She, cut, she puts the drapes on, you know? I can't let him see me. You know, just... And he took her veil and covered herself. She took her veil and covered herself. And then they met. And you can see Isaac going. Oh. Trying to find a way to see what's in there. And all the time the servant is telling them everything. And he's, yeah, right, right. Yeah, well, could you get to the end? I want to, uh, you know, I'd like to see this thing sooner or later. And he tells them the whole deal. And you know how Eliezer is. Every detail. And then the camels went over here, and then we went over, yeah, right, that's good, that's good. See, that's another thing about a good servant. He always gives a full account. Always gives a full account. Then Isaac brought her into his mother, Sarah's tent. You got to meet my mother, deal. And he took Rebecca. And she became his wife. And here's the best part. And he what? He loved her. Isn't that neat? It could have said, and he tolerated her. 
and said, oh, well, if this is what God gives, this is how it goes. Job and I will get together and talk. But he loved her. I mean, she was beautiful and a virgin and carried water and ran and, man. And thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death because there was somebody to care for him after his mother passed away. I guess the last thing you'd have to say about an effective servant is that uh, he is successful. He's successful. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? How God took a man and that man had all the wonderful qualities of spiritual servanthood and he gave him a task and he gave us a model for how to be a servant. Father, thank you this morning for the reminder in the life of Eliezer of what servanthood is really all about. What it is to, to be humbly unselfish. What it is to make a promise and keep it. What it is to serve one who who took away everything that might have been yours, what it is to be loyally loving, who reminds us what it is to, to think through and plan carefully, to have initiative, who reminds us of how important it is to anticipate the difficulties and how important it is to see the plan through and to make a full account and to trust you in the process of all of it, knowing your providence orchestrates everything. Help us, Lord, to be servants like Eliezer, not seeking the, promin the prominence, not seeking the possessions, but seeking to serve the Master we love, even Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have a great day.